that are unsaved to be independent. And but especially us men, us men, um, we can do it ourselves, can't we, men? We don't need anybody. Only the only the wife, 24 hours seven. All right. Where's the socks? Where's the milk? Where's this? Where's that? We're not that independent. Only when we think we want to be. But our title this morning is the importance of your presence, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let us read Hebrews chapter 10 together, um, verses 19 through to 25 um, this morning. So Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 through to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, by the new and living way that is opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the household of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not not neglecting to meet together, as the manner of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawn near. So, Father, we thank you for each person this morning. We thank you for the time that we've had already in your presence. It's been rich. And, God, we pray that, Lord, you would hedge us in, that, Father, would there be anything that would seek to rob us this morning from hearing from you, or anything that's on our mind that's not at this present moment. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that, God, you would open our hearts and open our minds this morning to receive and to hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So in this bit of scripture, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who have been severely tried by the fires of persecution. It's important we get that. Here's a church that is facing a lot of opposition. This persecution has taken its toll on many of these Hebrew Christians, if you like. It's gotten so hard, in fact, that that some were in danger of not just backsliding, but apostatizing. And this is what we see in this context. It's not just a matter of of had enough and growing cold. These Christians, at least some of them, have come to a point where they're about to say, I'm going to renounce all of Christ and the church. And this is what Paul is speaking into here in this letter. A church with people within it about to turn back and go to the world. Paul reminds them of a truth that would probably mean more to them than it does to us, but still, we will look at it. He reminds them that Christianity is superior to Judaism. The life that they once had, Christianity is so much more fulfilled and superior than it. All that they once practiced in Judaism, as in the temple worship, It all simply pointed to Christ and his ministry. Everything they did was a shadow of what was coming, something greater. And Paul was reminding these Hebrews that the earthly high priest passed through the veil of the temple, we know that, and into the presence of God. But Jesus Christ, through his suffering for you and for me on the cross, passed through for believers right into glory, where the presence of God resides. There was a greater entrance. And he reminded them, as we too sometimes need reminded, that the earthly priests were purified from ceremonial defilement by being sprinkled with blood. We need to see this wee bit. 
They were also washed with the laver of pure water. Before they could enter the presence, they had to kill the lamb, be sprinkled, and wash their hands in the laver and then enter the presence of God. There was a process that, that one had to go through before they could enter the presence of God. And so it is with all who are on Christ. They are all purified, not with, with works, but through the blood of Christ that has been poured out for us on Calvary's cross. We've just spent that time on the table considering. And the Christian sins, although they be many, have been washed away. And now we are called priests. Imagine, holy priests, children of God. And we get to enter into that holy of holies with full assurance. What is that full assurance? Full assurance of what? Because we can just enter into prayer at any time and perhaps we don't really appreciate what we have. Speak you to a priest of the Old Testament, you would see the many days of preparation. And one priest once a year got to enter in for the Day of Atonement. And had he entered in in the wrong way, in the wrong grounds, instantly killed. But yet there, there's so much that we take for granted. But we have a full assurance that the favour of God is upon us. That in Christ we are made holy and pure. Do you feel holy and pure this morning, church? No? Well, the word of God is stronger than our own opinion of ourselves. But Christ, in Christ we are made holy and pure. And with our sin problem now dealt with, we can draw near to God. Remember that. You can draw near to God because of Christ, not because of what you didn't do or haven't done. In verse 19, Paul's speaking to these believers who are in the verge of going back to their old life. He says this, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, hold fast to the confession of your faith. Hold fast. Don't let go of your testimony. Consider what it is that you stand to lose if you renounce Christ now. Go back to nothing but laws that are there to remind you of your sin and of your need of a saviour. Because you can never meet the standards of God in your own efforts. And that's what Paul was, was trying to say to these early believers. What are you going back to? Perhaps that's for somebody this morning. You're, you're on the verge of going back to something. Back to your own life. And the, and the question is, what are you really going back to? What's there that was so good? What's there that brought fulfillment or hope or joy to your heart? And that's the problem that many, many believers face. It's a problem we've all faced. That feeling that we never live up to the standard. Do you know the standard that it's not written on the wall, but it's written somewhere, isn't it? There, there's a standard that many of us feel we haven't attained, but the people around us we might think have. There's no standard other than Christ, I'll tell you that. You're free this morning, not because of how religious you are, how good you are. If you know Christ this morning and you've repented of your sin, you're free because of that and that alone. Was it our brother David said this morning, we've nothing to boast in. Holy Christ, you get that truth, you get a smile. You get that into your heart, you get joy. Because you're not relying and you're not weighing yourself on the scales. You accept yourself for who you are as he has. We never live up to the standard as a feeling that chokes the Christian. And you know, there's three different types, well perhaps more, but I'm going to identify three. There's some who make it known that they're weak and struggling in areas of faith. There's others who put on a good front, that's probably 80%. The display to the world that they've attained much in the things of God. But then there's what I call the wee treasure chest. And these are the wee treasures. Uh, all who serve God will know what I mean with this. There are those who just faithfully trust God. 
each and every day, and they encourage many along the way, as they do. And there is what I call a treasure chest, because in your day of struggle, your day of stagger, that person just seems to come at the right time, and just by their consistency, and by their, 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 their wrestle, their consistency in the wrestle, and their ability to still encourage you, just, just causes you to press on and have faith and keep your faith and hold on. And this is the type of person we're to strive to be, one who is steady in their walk and confident in their faith. I'll say that again, one who is steady in their walk and confident in their faith, who in all seasons, they have learned to trust Christ and to take him at his word. Now, you have to travel a path to get there, but there's these people about and they're in this church and these are the people we want to attain to be. People who are faithful, not only to God, but to each other in this church. Encourage others to do the same. Listen to Paul again with that, with that context. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Christian, you're to hold firm to your confession in Christ. Do you know there's a spirit at work in the world that always has been? against God and against godliness. If you can't say it today, I don't think there's any hope of you ever saying it. But there's a spirit at work against godliness, against God. And this spirit aim is this, to cause man to deny Christ. It's to cause you and I to deny Christ. I want you to notice something. If you ever read the, the book of martyrs or you, you read anything, there's more Christians persecuted and killed today than there ever was in history. You don't have to go far to read. But one thing you'll notice is this. Those who are killed for their faith, they're given a choice. The choice is this, deny Christ, renounce him, and they can live. Why is that? There's a spirit at work. Deny him, renounce him, you can live. Paul says, hold fast to your confession. And what about faithfulness? Have you ever found yourself to be unfaithful? Does anybody want to put their hands up? No, none of us do. Well, I'll put mine up for us all. Will that they represent us all. But if you have, listen, don't be too alarmed or shocked at yourself. Because as far as I know, there's only one that I know of who's called the faithful one. And he's the one who I trust and he's the one who you trust. He alone is faithful. Thankfully, the kingdom of God doesn't rest on your shoulders or mine. Although we have responsibility, but it's not that big of a responsibility that the whole thing rests on us. He's faithful. He knows about our weaknesses, our brokenness, our inconsistencies. He knows about all of these things, but yet he still died for us. And that's something. And it's in him we trust. We trust in him. We lean on him when we learn from him. Now Paul points to the faithfulness of Christ. Why? To encourage these believers to hold on, not to give up. But why does he really want to do this? Because Christ is faithful. And his promises over your life and my life will, will surely come to pass. But we must hold firm and not turn back. So in verse 20, 23, I just want to summarize what Paul has taught. Stand firm. If you're taking notes, verse 23, summarize this. Stand firm, hold fast to your confession. Don't waver. Be consistent. And trust him. Now that's, that's the launch pad that Paul gives us to go into the next two verses. So that's for somebody this morning. It's for us all this morning. Stand firm. Hold fast to your confession. Don't waver like many are wavering today. But trust him. Trust Christ. 
Now let us look at verse 24 and 25. Now these are the two verses that I want us just to ponder for a few minutes um, this morning. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you're able to clear up it on slide two, please. And there's a responsibility here in verse 24. I want you to see this as for us all. There's a responsibility to stir up one another. Do you want something to do in the church? Stir up one another. Do you ever do a bit of bacon? Neither have I. I've seen it done. You stir up it all together and it turns out good normally. Stir up one another to love and good works. Then in verse 25, there's a double responsibility for the believer. That's if you're, you've reached the one point and you're ready to go to the next level. What's the other responsibility? It's our responsibility to gather together. And why is it too important, so important to gather together to encourage each other until the Lord comes? Because the days are wicked. Are the days wicked? We need encouraged till the Lord comes. Any reference to the Lord speaks about wicked days. Before the Lord returns. And there is a double responsibility that you and I have. Just put it back to slide one, please, just for just for a moment, clear, please. So I want us to remind us quickly of the background of this text before we're really going to press in now. And some of these Christians are about to turn away from their faith. This is this is a reality two thousand years ago, and it's a reality today. They wanted to go back to their old life, back to Judaism. And there have been Christians in, in every generation, in every church, who at times have come close to giving up the faith. Maybe that's you this morning. You know, there's something about the old life that just seemed easier. Do you ever notice that? There's something about the old life that, I don't know, but it just seemed to run smoothly. It didn't now, but it seemed to. Something about hindsight, it always looked better. There's something there that sometimes wants to cause us to return there. People seem to understand us there. Would you agree? People seem to accept us there for who we were. Friends who once loved us are perhaps still there. And this can have a, a draw on us. But when things are hard and we're being tried in the very furnace, the cold winds of the old life seem a better option at times. It's true. When the heat of life in the faith gets turned up, the temperature's hot, there's something about the cold winds that used to bash us about in the old life that draws us there. But it's, it's, it's a lie, of course. There's nothing there to go back to. Life without Christ, to me anyway, is meaningless at best. You decide that for yourself, but if you're born again this morning, I would struggle to know how any other life would be, even in the hardships. Life without Christ is meaningless. But there is a better here now and you can say amen to that if you want to believe it. But I believe it. There, there's a better here and now that Christ wants us to experience. We must stir up one another. and We must help one another in the faith. And there's a big lack there. There's a big lack, not just in Monaghan, but in every county across this wee island and beyond. There's a lack better here and now. And Paul encourages these believers to hold fast to what Christ has placed in their heart 
not to waver your mind, saying that, that, listen, perhaps you can't trust yourself, but you can trust him, because he's faithful, and he will be faithful. And we are, to, we are told to build and to add to our faith. Not only are we to build and add to our own faith and walk, because that's what Christianity can be about, very easily become about. Me, myself, and I, Ingo's going to say, but it's me, myself, and I, isn't it? We, not intentionally now. We, we can all, myself included, make Christianity about, about this, about ourselves. Because nobody else matters in the world, really. Truth be known for most of us. If our own wee world is all right, well, the world's all right. If our wee world's rocked, well, the world's not a good place anymore. And the truth is, we were never to focus on our own lives. Christ didn't save us to be self-pity, to, to mourn. He saved us to bring hope to others. When all's fallen apart, as my life was, and I'm sure yours was, before you got saved, and all of a sudden, there was a foundation, and there was an anchor, and my life no longer was being pulled to and fro. I was sure, I was steadfast, I was a mess, but I was sure, I was steadfast in Christ. And that's the hope that we have for one another, to this world. We are called to help other Christians. And you know, I would say there's not a month goes past that I don't hear something that, I'm not having a rant, I'm just telling you the truth, that, that I haven't done well, or somewhere I've, I've failed. And I want to put it back to you, all of us, as Christians. Have you helped other Christians this year? Not this week, this month, but this whole year. It's a question that we need to consider in our own hearts before we consider other people's. Those who are feeling the heat need our help. Those who are struggling in their faith need our encouragement to grow in the Lord. And on each believer, and I'm going to leave this very clearly with everyone this morning who knows the Lord, on each believer there is a responsibility placed upon them to stir up one another, or other believers, to help them press on. Not yourself, help them press on in the things of God. And help them add some action to their confession. If there's ever time for some action to confessions, it's now. Isn't it, church? Where are we? Where is Christendom in these days? World's in chaos. Very poor witness across the world. Very poor witness. Help us all to press on, to add some action to our faith. I want to mention a short warning. It's not my sermon this morning. But I've seen it, and I want to just highlight it. And I'm going to move on to the true meaning of this text. As in verse 25, let us not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. There's a warning. What is the warning? Paul's saying, the warning is this, that some have forsaken from coming together. And why? Because the heat's on. They're being persecuted. They're struggling to press on in their life. So they've chose to step back. They've chose to stop, get out of the fight, and, and to turn back. For whatever reason, and I just want to say this, there's a simple warning, I'm not preaching on it, but I'm going to mention it, that some have. And I perhaps would imagine if we looked around us, we could say that in this fellowship, in this past, from perhaps pre-COVID to now. But what about going on before that? Perhaps there's some who have forsaken from, from coming together with other believers. But I'll say this, and it's my own observation, it's my own opinion, and that's it. I'll leave it with that. It's my opinion. I've yet to see a believer grow in the Lord who's not committed to an assembly on a regular basis. And I've yet to see anybody go on strong in the Lord who's not committed to the church. 
and that's my personal opinion. But this verse is often used to condemn the, the poor believer who wants to go away for a Sunday, isn't it? If you want to go away for a day, it's forsake not the gathering ourselves together, brother. That's not what it's teaching at all. That's not what this text is teaching. This verse is used to condemn, but it's not what it's meant to be to do. It's simply a charge to every believer not to forsake the gathering of themselves together for worship. It's an instruction, not a rebuke. The true meaning of Hebrews is this, and this is my opinion and many others in the context of what we just looked at. It's not to make us feel bad if we don't attend every meeting. The true meaning of this is that God wants us to build relationships with each other. Relationships that will, will help us and keep us from turning back from turning to our own lives and its practices. That's why we're not to forsake our gathering ourselves together because without the church you will falter. And if you haven't learned that over COVID, I don't know when you will. I've never seen as many men and women grow cold. I'm talking about people who hold office as well. I'm talking about my own heart as well. There was a coldness. And the, the, the war is not over. The war's not over for your soul. The war's not over for your walk with God. There's a coldness for your heart. There's a coldness coming over our hearts. So listen, we need each other. We need to stir up each other. Without church, you'll dry up and become cold. But there's also a possibility of creating a church service that could cause you to become cold. Would you agree with that one? We can have a church service that when you leave it, you're perhaps as cold, if not colder, than you were before you went in it. And we don't want it here at this church. We want a place where you can come and encounter God, be challenged by the word of God, meet with God, be prayed for, be loved, be accepted, be encouraged. And we're speaking that over the church. What about an amen? The children shouting, an amen church. Because there could be a day coming when you're not so strong. There could be a day coming when you'd be glad to crawl through these doors and be hugged. I'm telling you, it's all right when all's well in your own life. But the church was never meant to be perfect. It's meant to be messy church. There's a new craze called messy church. Church was always messy. Read the, the epistles to the church. Very messy. I don't believe I've ever heard of a church with orgies in it except in the, new, in, the, in the Corinthian church. It was messy. Very, very messy. But we had to stir each other up. And you know, I'll say this. There's a lot of stirring that takes places in churches and sadly it's not the helpful type. It's not the helpful type. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again because I really mean it, and I can stand over it. If you have people in your life that are always pick out the bad from the good in church life, I would advise you to take a step back from them or you too will become like them. Do you want me to repeat that? If you have people in your life that always pick out the bad from church life, step back from them or you're going to end up like them. Pick out the good. I challenge you to pick out the good. Look what people's doing in this church and trying to get the church going. We're trying to, to minister into your lives. Consider we're trying to minister into your children's lives. We're trying to seek God on behalf of you. And I would encourage you to think and to pull out the good. Set aside the bad. Because there's a lot of it here. There's a lot of it in the session, a lot of it in the elderships, there's a lot of it in the pews. We don't get up here and point out anybody else's, do we? But let us pull out the good church. Man who has his hand to the plough, will be so busy watching his own furrow, he'll have no time to look across the man, across the field. Amen? The man who's so busy plowing his own field, he'll not be concerned about the wee man across the field that's not doing such a good job. 
Stir up one another in the faith. Encourage your friend because they need it more than you realize and so do you. I want to note the word consider in verse 24. Uh, slide three, please, if it's able to go up. And it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. And the Greek word here for, con- for consider is katanomen. And it means this, to, to give attention to, to fix our attention upon, to give continuous care or to watch over. Now, you really need to get this. This is one word that can be applied from the original language. That is what, what Paul is trying to say to you and I. What a wonderful instruction that I see here given to us from Scripture. So what is the purpose of us meeting together as Christians, say? Help each other in the faith. Give attention to one another. To fix our attention upon one another and get it off ourselves. To give continuous care to one another. And to watch out for one another. Isn't there's a nice wee bit of instruction out of one word, isn't it? And church, if this was true in the church and the churches across the world, you know what, there would be less brokenness in our world and more of Christ. If, if this was the heart of every Christian, how much stronger would we be in the Lord and in life? How much stronger would you be if this was the heart of your brothers and sisters who rub shoulders with you every week? We'd be as strong as rock. We would be a rock-solid, tight group of people, a welder, anybody speak against us. That's what we would be. So what is it we are to give attention to? One commentator says this, we are to make sure that we are stirred up and living for Christ. Are you stirred up and living for Christ? It's a responsibility. Make sure you're stirred up and you're living for Christ and that we are loving one another and doing good works. What is the love and to do good works? Slide four, please, and clear. And this is all one commentator said this, and I'm just going to use his. One commentator says that it means that we love in action and not just in word. That is, we feed the poor, we visit the sick and shut-ins, we look after the orphans and the children of broken homes and single parents, you know, the people that many churches don't want. We become a friend to the lonely. We give direction to the young man who's completely empty and in no direction in life. And of course, the old man, an older woman who's no direction in their life. These are the actions that should overflow a thankful heart. Many churches have food banks, but very little heart behind them. Visiting is not a job description for the pastor or the elders. We all visit people because we care about them, right? Should we not visit people because we care about them? Because who wants to get a visit from somebody who's just doing it because they have to do it? I don't. Actually, do you, do you really want a visit from somebody who's just told they have to visit you? Or would you rather have a visit from somebody who actually cares for you? You can shout out if you want, but I'm not going to throw you out. We would like a visit from somebody who cares for us, wouldn't we? Yeah. And that's what I want to say, and I know what happens in this church, but, but let's get our culture right. Get rid of the toxic culture, but get the culture right where it's not anybody's job description, but it's everybody's responsibility. Is that fair enough? There's something about just getting past the toxic culture of not really caring about anybody or anything, but expecting some man who's, who, who, who struggles like everybody else to do it all. It sounds like it's a, this is a sermon about the past, that it's not at all. I'm speaking about every one of us today. It's not a job description. It's a heart culture. It's a heart state. Maybe there's a family that you know today that who are struggling. They might need your help. Think about it. They might need your help. Maybe there's somebody that you know who's 
lonely. They might need you to befriend them. There's wee simple things here, isn't there? We need to pour into people, not, not drain them dry. And these five points are enough to keep us focused till the Lord takes us home. Write them down, stick them in your, in your wall, whatever you do. And if you follow them the rest of your life, I'll promise you the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Promise you it. If you do nothing else but follow them five points, the Lord will bless you. So slide one again, please, just back. We're coming fast to, to an end here. So I want to just consider that exhortation to give attention to one another. Why are we to pay attention to one another, stir up one another? Because there will be times that you and I will be on the verge of giving up on our faith. There will be times when you and I will be so close from turning away from the things of God. And it could happen like that. Being far and I've experienced it one day. And the next day your foot can be in such a cold stream you don't know how you're ever going to get out of it. And that's why we need each other, church. And that's why I'm just speaking to you today with such a real attitude from the word of God. You know, in the world, many will encourage you, but it'll be in all the wrong things. But I guess for so many, encouragement's better than none, isn't it? If the world's going to encourage you on, you may as well accept it if the church isn't. That's what's happening across the land. We all have a responsibility to stir up one another to love and good works. One commentator said this, this is a duty of the new living faith that Jesus Christ has wrought for us. It's not a dead faith. Your faith isn't dead. It's a faith that stirs us to action. It stirs us to live, truly live, live in love and in good works and for the sake of the needful and a sick world. So we each have a duty. Slide five there, and this is the last slide to do with our talk. Our duties as, as believers is this, to gather together as believers. Consider one another. You know, get your eyes off yourself and under others. And, and you know, I often find when, especially in my earlier years, when I uh, such a mess in my life, when, when I started just serving and helping other people, do you know what happened? God took my life, which was a bundle of knotted string, and he started to straighten it out. And that happened for me because I wasn't looking at me anymore. I was, I was helping. The, the wee woman used to come into the church in the morning. She never could park her car, and she'd park in the middle of the road, walk in and throw me the keys. And I loved that every Sunday. And I just started helping people and enjoying people around me, such a diverse people. And, you know, before I knew it, I hadn't even thought of myself. And I wanted to go on more. And look, I, I know things can be difficult in life. No, nobody's playing anything down. But, but is it possible that if we would listen to the call of God and, and say, listen, you've been called to look around you, to meet a need if you see it, and, and, and put other people before yourself, is it possible that God would then step in and heal your hurts? Is it possible? Because he did for me. Get our eyes off ourselves. Stir up one another in, in the faith and in the good works. Be an encourager to the brethren. Oh boy, I could name the few people who taxed me during COVID from this church. Difficult, do you know? You didn't have to worry, because you're all facing your own difficulties. But I could tell you some of the wee taxes I got, they're still in there, but they just picked me up. Encourage the brother, encourage each other. Those you know, there's those who, I remember an old, an old preacher saying this years ago, he says, there's someone in the meeting, when you see them coming, you dread to see them coming. But there's others, when you see them coming, you're so thankful. And I'm not saying that about anybody. But we all know that that, that is, don't we? There's some people come into our life, or into our door, and you just, it's the last person on this earth that you want. But there's wee gems that just step in at the right time, and you thank the Lord for them. Isn't that right? 
Let us be wee gems. Let us be people that, that when we're seen coming, that say, I'm glad to see that brother coming. Glad to see that sister coming. She does my heart good. Last verse, Hebrews 3 and 13. Listen to it. But exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin. And here we see the need of not weekly encouragement, but daily encouragement. Encourage the brethren daily. At least we become hardened in sin. It's our responsibility to get beside others, to exhort them daily. You know, church, can I say this? Be kind to each other. No idea what, what each other's walking, the path that they're walking at the present time. Be kind to each other. It's the least we can do. It's, it's the basic manners we've been taught. I remember when we granny, bless her, if you, if you had spoke out of tune as a child, you'd got the handbag on the side of the head. You ever get that? We, and, and, you know, and you know, did me no harm. And it'll do you no harm. If you don't want to encourage somebody, that's fine. But be kind. It's a basic manner that we all should have. Be kind. But what I want to say to you is this, church. Today's sermon was a bit of a talk to you. From our hearts, from my hearts, from the word. It's our duty to encourage each other in the faith.